Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Just a reminder that new Dream Gardens podcast will be posted on the first and third of Monday of each month, so anytime you're wondering when the next one's coming, uh, just check your calendar. Uh, today, I'm going to be interviewing Melissa Hart. Uh, she's author of the recent book guide, Better With Books, 500 Diverse Books to Ignite Empathy in Tweens and Teens. And we're going to be talking about the young reader's novel, The Only Road by Alexandra Diaz. Uh, but first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. Uh, this one today is called Hand Me Down Sweatshirt. Uh, it was written by Alice Shirtle, and I found it in her poetry book, Button Up. Hand Me Down Sweatshirt. I'm a hand me down sweatshirt with zipper and hood. I'm everyone's favorite and still looking good. I've been lost and recovered, been torn and been sewn, been dribbled on, tumbled in, rained on, and blown. I started out Wendell's, was passed down to May. She passed me to Carly. I'm Andrew's today. So zip up my zipper and pull up my hood. I'm a friend of the family and still looking good. My guest today is Melissa Hart, author of the book guide Better With Books, as well as the novels Avenging the Owls and Gringa, A Contradictory Childhood. Melissa also teaches for the MFA in Creative Writing Program at Southern New Hampshire University. You can find Melissa's website at www.melissahart.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, M Melissa. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, as I mentioned, uh, your, your most recent book out is called Better With Books, and it's a, it's a guide to diverse novels for young readers. Can you uh, go into a little more detail about exactly what the book is? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So it was published in April 2019, and it has the longest subtitle, I think, in the history of subtitles. So it's actually Better With Books. 500 Diverse Books to Ignite Empathy and Encourage Self-Acceptance in Tweens and Teens. And for those people who don't know what a tween is, it's a kid between the ages of, say, 10 and 13 or 14. And so um, the book actually has descriptions of 500 novels and memoirs published in the last decade as diverse as possible that will appeal to tweens and teens. And it's organized by different topics such as racism and race and ethnicity, immigration, body image, mental health, uh, physical disability, and other topics like that. Every chapter is prefaced by a short essay in which I incorporate interviews from best-selling authors and also librarians and teachers and therapists and teens themselves that have discovered the power of bibliotherapy. And then at the end of the book, there's a pretty extensive uh, resource uh, guide that includes all sorts of the websites that I used in my research and websites where if you've exhausted yourself with 500 books, there are websites I give you so that you can find 500 more diverse contemporary novels and memoirs. So that's that's about it in a nutshell. And what inspired you to, to take the time to put this book together? 
Right. So my daughter is biracial, adopted from Oregon's foster care system. And she was a toddler when my husband and I adopted her. And we did not know a whole lot about early childhood loss and trauma. And we had to learn quickly because when she got to be school age, she sort of imploded spectacularly in the first and second grade. She became so anxious and depressed that she would bite giant holes in her shirts and twist her hair into knots. And she was absolutely miserable being away from us. When she started to sit under her desk and scream, uh, I pulled her out of school. We were, <clears throat> my husband and I are fortunate enough to have flexible jobs. So we readjusted our work schedules so that I could homeschool her for a couple of years. And, you know, homeschooling parents know that there are a variety of curriculums you can choose, but I didn't want any of those. I wanted to design one myself around contemporary diverse literature. And so I started researching and choosing books for us to read together that reflected her experiences as a biracial adopted uh, kid who struggled with ADHD and who also loved nature and dancing. And so we would choose a novel every month and I would read it out loud and we would do all this cross-curricular activity as well, tying the book in with math and science and theater and things like that. And the more that I homeschooled her using this curriculum, the more I saw that she and I were both becoming much more compassionate, both uh, to ourselves and others. And I started doing research into this and found that for the last 10 years, researchers have actually been doing amazing studies that show time and time again the correlation between reading literary fiction and increased capacity for compassion. And so I thought, well, this is just amazing. And I wanted to share this with other parents and teachers and librarians and kids. And I am passionate about diverse literature that represents all kids in fiction. You know, when I was growing up, Fiction for kids was pretty white and pretty middle class to upper middle class. And it did seem like all the books were set in Manhattan. And that just that just didn't ring true to me. So I'm really excited about all the diverse literature that's out here now for kids and young adults. And I wanted to showcase 500 titles. And for somebody picking up this book, is, the, is there a, a recommendation for how they use it just to find something that interests them or just look through it to find interesting titles? You know, uh, since it's been out in, in the several months that it's been out, it's been really interesting to see the variety of ways that people have used better with books. In the book, I talk about and interview different parents who have started uh, mother-daughter book clubs or there's um, there are several therapists who use who use uh, literature in their treatments of of young adults in particular, and and there are programs that combine the judicial system with a university literature department and use uh, bibliotherapy with people who are incarcerated. But so there are uh, different ways uh, or rather different methods that I talk about in Better With Books for how to use the lists. But people have been using 
the book in all sorts of interesting ways. And one of the best was early on in its publication, a parent sent me a picture of her tween who had taken probably I have 60 or 70 different colored sticky notes and affixed them to every page on which there was a book that she wanted to read. Um, there are teachers who give the book to their students and say, okay, look, you've got a book report coming up. Pick a book from this list of 500. And there, there are other ways that people are using it that are just pretty thrilling. It be very gratifying to get that kind of uh, feedback. Oh, yeah. And like you said, you know, the importance of seeking out diverse books is 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 not just in, uh, you know, reading different titles, but but obviously, you know, it has a, a lot of wide um, uh, implications and, uh, you know, possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. This would be a really good place for me to read an excerpt. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to read a bit of the introduction to to give people a sense of how powerful literature is and how much it's needed right now. So just a couple paragraphs. Over the past decade, researchers have shown again and again that the more we read fiction, the more we develop the ability to put ourselves in a character's shoes and feel for them deeply. Librarians and teachers and parents in the habit of reading to their kids daily will likely roll their eyes at this point and grow no kidding. But I'd wager that in general, most people haven't considered the fact that reading novels can transform us into kinder, more caring individuals. That connection seems pretty important right now. In the midst of increased bigotry and fear in the United States, as more and more preteens and teens report anxiety and depression brought on by everything from bullying to college applications to concerns about climate change, we need books. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, more than ever, although we always need books. I think you're right there. More than ever, we need um, books to see us through. I think so. Now, you've written your own novel as well, actually a couple of novels, but I want to talk particularly about your more recent one, Avenging the Owls, which was an OBOB selection in 2018. First, I want to ask, what is an OBOB selection? <laughs> that is an excellent question. OBOB, or here in Oregon, OBOB, stands for Oregon Battle of the Books. Now, these book battles exist across the U.S. Different states have their own, and I don't think they're called OBOB. But um, in this is the way it works in Oregon. Every year, the Oregon Library Association and any teacher, librarian, parent who's interested nominate books uh, for the next year. And then there are, there are three age divisions in OBOB. So uh, there's... Um, there are teams made up of third, fourth, fifth graders, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, and high school kids. Each team is responsible for mastering the content of 16 chosen novels, nonfiction, and memoir uh, over the OBOB season. And it's a book trivia competition. So they compete at the school level. It's very much seated like a uh, like, like I think, like the NBA, and so they compete on the on the school level, and then regionally, and then statewide, answering questions, everything from what type of 
what species of owl was it that carried off the kitten in avenging the owl to impossibly hard questions about maybe the particular time of day when a key plot point took place. So these kids are amazing. They read um, each book two and three times. And and it was such an honor to have Avenging the Owl chosen to be part of Obab last year. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And what is Avenging the Owl about? Yeah, so it's a middle grade novel. And again, it will be most of interest for kids between, say, 8 and 14. And it's the story of a 14-year-old boy who's forced to move from a beautiful Southern California beach house and all of his friends to a trailer in the middle of Oregon because his father has clinical depression and his mother says they need a drastic change. Uh, The boy is so, so terribly depressed. He makes one very bad choice and finds himself in front of a juvenile court justice who sentences him to two months caring for injured and orphaned birds of prey, which may sound great, but the protagonist is terrified of birds, and he's just got a really bad attitude. But eventually, he meets some people who volunteer with him, and he meets a particularly irascible, troubled great horned owl that helps him to heal from his trauma over his dad's attempted suicide. I won't spoil the ending, but if you love Birds of Prey, if you are intrigued by Harry Potter's owls, you'll love this book. And what? where did you get the idea for this particular story? That is an excellent question. So for a long time, I spent eight years volunteering with injured and orphaned birds of prey here in Oregon. And I, too, was absolutely terrified of them. But I had met a man in the dog park, and he had invited me out on a date to pick up 600 pounds of frozen rats and a live baby owl. And I thought, what is going on here? And it turned out he volunteered at this raptor rehabilitation center. And there were some really attractive women volunteering there, and that made me nervous. So I signed up to volunteer as well. And over the course of that time, I went from being terrified of beaks and talons to being um, an owl trainer, somebody who would go in and train owls to sit on a glove or on a perch for educational presentations, and even ended up in Amsterdam giving a talk about training our snowy owl at the center. And so I wanted to put all that into book form. And I guess I should mention that my protagonist is based on a young adult, a young male who came in to volunteer, and he kind of had to volunteer, and he really was unhappy about it. And I thought, I wonder how this trajectory is going to play out. And in the end, he loved helping the birds so much that he came back the summer after his freshman year of college and, and voluntarily signed up for volunteer shifts. So, you know, nature heals and birds of prey are cool. Oh, yes, yes. I, I've, I've, I've seen presentations sort of like the one you described, and they're just fascinating, fascinating animals. Yeah, Now, you, as well as uh, being an author, uh, you also, as I mentioned, uh, you teach uh, for the uh, MFA in Creative Writing Program uh, at Southern New Hampshire University. If you want to talk a little bit about what a program like that is and, and what you do in that program. Yeah, sure. So this particular program is pretty new. I think it's about a year and a half old. 
Um, low residency MFA programs have been around for probably 25 or 30 years, and that's actually how I earned my MFA through Goddard College's low residency MFA program in Vermont. And so that allowed me to stay home. Uh, I was living in California at the time and then fly over to Vermont twice a year to meet with my faculty and classmates. And it was just really lovely. But, you know, more and more people can't do that. And it's expensive to travel. They can't take 10 days off of work or away from family or away from um, maybe elderly parents that they're caring for. And so this is an all online program and we teach genre fiction as well as literary fiction. And so there are horror or rather speculative horror science fiction tracks. There's a romance track. Um, people are encouraged to explore mystery and thriller as well as contemporary fiction. And so I never get to meet my students almost ever, but we do a lot of video chatting and we connect on social media and, um, and it's just, it's a really good way for a lot of people to go to school. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the possibilities and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm really thrilled with this program. What do you think the value in a program like that for somebody who wants to, who's just starting out in writing and really wants to, um, you know, express themselves in creative writing of some kind? Right. That's a great question. I think of one student in particular I have who has several health issues. Um, this person is disabled and can't travel much and also is hearing impaired and couldn't couldn't really deal with a program that wasn't all online and i've seen this person go from not having not knowing how to structure a scene much less a novel over the past year and a half to producing with with um, faculty as mentors something that is truly worthy of of publication and, you know, traditional publication with one of the big five publishers, frankly. It is a phenomenal piece of work. And this person is not the exception, but um, there, are, there are plenty of others who just use that that two years to grow so much through, through uh, writing and revision and mentoring. You know, I take my role as mentor very, very seriously, and I make sure that my students graduate knowing how to how to approach a literary agent and how to approach a writing conference and how to get short pieces published in newspapers and magazines to build up their audience, and of course, how to craft a, a, a gorgeous novel. Yeah, is that getting that feedback is I can attest that is is so essential when you're first starting out and you're sometimes feeling a little bit lost as to what to do. Oh, I'd say it's essential for anybody in any stage of the writing game. You know, I've got five books published, and every time I have a rough draft, I have to get feedback from my husband, from my agent. Uh, one time I gave my daughter twenty dollars and a red pen and my manuscript and said, "Go to town, sweetheart." It's a craft, so it's you know it's it's not something you figure out and know exactly what to do every time. Never, it's, it's never. A, it's always a learning process. 
Yes. Yeah. Now, the book you picked uh, as one of your favorite uh, books for young readers is uh, called the, the Only Road. It was written by Alexandra Diaz, and it was published in 2016. Uh, for readers who haven't had a chance to read this, and I know it was a new book to me uh, when you uh, uh, picked it, uh, can you talk a little bit of what this book is about? Yeah, I chose this book because I'm an Oregon Battle of the Books coach this year at the local middle school, and this is one of the selections. And I had volunteered to write practice questions and answers for this book. And so when you do that, you have to know that book pretty intimately. And I was just so consistently impressed with the way that the author from page one brings to life the struggle of people living in, in this case, Guatemala and under threats of gang violence and, and uh, you know, just death. And what, what would motivate uh what would motivate somebody to make the arduous, terrible journey from from this area up to the United States? I think, you know, it's really easy to have knee-jerk reactions to people at the border and say, oh, you know, they're just looking to take our jobs or they're just looking for a handout. But this this author from page one really drives home the incredible sacrifice that people are making when they leave their home and and look for a life where at least they can be physically safe. So what the book is about um, is it's about two kids, uh, a tween and a teen who are cousins, and they have to because of threats of serious gang violence that's killed their cousin. They have to go alone from Guatemala, taking a series of buses and trains to the to the border of the U.S., where they'll meet their older brother, who's working. Um, in the U.S. and you know, through the through the story, we get to know other kids who are traveling by themselves. We get to see firsthand the threats and just the the government dishonesty and manipulation. Um, and you know, the whole premise of Better with Books, of course, is that literature contributes to empathy and it wasn't five pages in that I felt my empathy for these individuals grow exponentially because of her her powerful and candid storytelling and it like you said it's told through the, uh it's about these uh two kids um but it's told particularly through the point of view of the boy Jamie I'm saying Jamie but I don't think that's exactly how it's pronounced but I'm not I think it's Jaime 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 okay <laughs> uh and so through through Jaime's uh, eyes basically is how we see everything and I thought it was right. interesting that he's also an artist and so he's able to witness these things not only through how he describes them but in the pictures that he draws as well and I just what you thought about using um this particular character is it's kind of a witness to the things we see I love that because you know this is a, a middle grade novel and and uh, so you want a character that's young and you want to see this situation through a young person's eyes uh, and uh, as far as his artistic talent goes it's sh the the author just uses that so beautifully I'm thinking of the scene early on in the book where he first sees his murdered cousin. 
in a funeral home. And, you know, I, I have a passage if you want me to read that. But then he turns around and sketches his cousin the way that he remembers him. And it's just poignant and heartbreaking. Oh, please do share that. So, you know, she she pulls no punches, this Alexander Diaz. Right in the first couple of chapters, there's a murder of a child. And it's grisly and horrible. And it sets into motion from page one these events that propel these two kids up north. But this is this is uh, one of the scenes. In the middle of the patio, surrounded by flowers, candles and incense, stood the wooden coffin. The lid lay on top but could be slid open to reveal the head and chest for those who wanted to say goodbye. Jaime forced himself to, then wished he hadn't. Miguel looked not like Miguel. The beatings he had received left his face distorted. No amount of makeup could change his shattered nose or the swelling over his left eye. Even with his eyes and mouth closed, no one would say he looked like he was sleeping. Jaime didn't think anyone should have been allowed to see him like that, but it was a tradition that helped La Familia accept that he was gone. The police in the village called Miguel's death an unfortunate accidente. Of course they would say that. Money meant more than morals and justice to the force. Whoever paid most had the power, and the alphas could pay a lot. It also didn't help that the police chief's drug habit funded many of the gang's operations. I thought it was uh, interesting, you know, in uh, the afterword uh, that um, Alexandra Diaz writes, uh, she talked, you know, that the, these children, you know, they go through all these terrible things. At the same time, she says, you know, the their success, you know, and, and in some ways they had it relatively easy uh, and that, you know, they were they sort of got through and had this help. But she does hint uh, throughout their, uh, the other people they meet, we think about like the fate of Zavi and Rafa, and we never learn exactly what happens to them. And all that they sort of the the fate of other people who are not successful and uh, are hinted at or, or told that. And I'm just wondering the importance of both showing that um, these two triumph in some way at the end, but at the same time, there's a suggestion that there's all the others that they meet along the way uh, don't fare as well. Why having both of those stories told are important. Right. Well, there is one image that I don't think I'll ever be able to get out of my head. And I don't think that anybody who reads this book will ever be able to forget this. They're, the kids are walking a, along a railroad track and they see a shoe and they realize there's a severed foot in it. And, you know, that is just macabre and it symbolizes just how very fraught this journey is and how many people don't make it. They don't even make it with their physical bodies intact. I think that's so important to realize both sides of this story because of some of the rhetoric that we hear. Um, it's such an easy journey. They're, they're, you know, they're just taking a bus up here and, and it's fine. And uh, I mean, she just does such a good job of showing that it's absolutely not fine. And people who are making this journey are under attack from, from everything from not having enough water in in searing sun to losing your foot on a railroad track. 
I know I found the the plight of one particular character, uh, Joaquin, to be particularly poignant, uh, who has a secret that we learn. Right. And I know it's kind of hard to talk about this without kind of revealing something. Uh, uh, but uh, but I we want to talk a little bit about you know that character because sometimes um, we learn a secret and there are su- suggestions of why that's important. It just it is sort of heartbreaking. The sort of and we and, and again it's a character we never quite. We, we don't hear the end of uh, their story. Right. I, I just found that to be masterful, how Joaquin is presented and, and how we learn the, the truth about this character near the end. I think that reveal underscores how dangerous it is for girls and women in particular um, to make this journey. And and what they what's at stake for them, perhaps even more than than men and boys making this journey. And I just I just think that was a magnificent reveal near the end of the book. Well, it is interesting. She she deals with very difficult uh, uh, subjects, but uh, it it is still a a middle grade. It's it's she has to walk a fine line with being very specific, uh, but that at the time not being so um, graphic that it no longer becomes a middle grade uh, right. uh, book. And she and she it sort of walks that that line very very well. You know what? I don't think she ever writes the word rape, does she? Um, it's certainly implied, but but we never get the word or or uh, anything graphic, you know, uh, just subtle and and magnificent. Hmm. Now, obviously, you know, along the way, they run into a lot of unsavory characters. But at the end, uh, we sort of thinking back at uh, all the things that happened. I think mainly of the people who have helped them. I think of Padre Kevin and Sierra Perez, who shelter them right. in their mobile home. And, and why it was important to highlight those people and telling this very difficult story, but at the same time to highlight, you know, the people who helped them as well. Oh, that Padre Kevin is just such a spectacular character. <laughs> From the clothing to the generosity and the savvy about how, you know, how that world works. I, I just... Yeah, it's it's it, that those two characters added so much balance. Reminds me actually of, you know, the 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 quote that Mister Rogers has: "Look for the helpers," and and those two are the helpers. Those those two are the bright spots that make this journey possible, and they represent compassion, uh, non judgmental compassion, and. You know, maybe maybe just reading about Padre Kevin is going to inspire a, a young reader to be that compassionate, to be that person as an adult who has so much power to to better the lives of marginalized and disenfranchised people. And what is the value of books like this uh, in giving a, a human face to what so often is either just a statistic or a brief mention in a news report, but giving a, a story. I have a 12 year old, a seventh grade daughter. And, you know, as I said, I'm a, an Oregon battle of the books coach at the middle school. And I spend a lot of time with middle school students in particular. It is a scary time. I suppose it's always been a scary time to be a kid, but 
it's a scary time to be a kid and they're seeing headlines and everything's so polarized and there are sound bites and clickbait headlines and it just it it feels like humanity is very divorced from all of this but a book like this through story provides a safe way to explore um, to explore a social issue, a political issue, and to a safe way to consider all sides of an issue, of an argument, um, in a way that that I don't think kids necessarily do with nonfiction. But fiction, if it's well written and has gripping characters, captivates and draws you into the story and makes you feel what they're feeling so that the, their struggle becomes your struggle and you emerge from the end of the novel a changed person, uh, perhaps with changed feelings around an issue that you've discovered in that book. And even if you haven't gone through, I mean, so many of us haven't gone through an experience like this, and yet right. there's still people that we can identify with uh, in, in the, the struggles that they go through, even if they aren't the struggles that we've experienced ourselves. You remind me of something that your listeners might enjoy. So I was on a panel a couple months ago at the Pacific Northwest, uh, sorry, Pacific Northwest Booksellers Conference, and some of the booksellers were talking about how it, it's so frustrating because they want to offer parents who come in diverse contemporary literature, but in store uh, in stores that are in mostly white neighborhoods, they get a lot of pushback from parents who see a book cover with perhaps an African American kid or a kid in a wheelchair on the book cover, and they say, "Oh no, my kid wouldn't be interested in that." And this one bookseller has this classic comeback. She says. Oh, I'm sorry. Is your kid a wizard? And I thought, that is awesome. We <laughs> we don't need to be reading books about people exactly like us. We need to be reading books about people who are not like us so that we can gain insight into them so that we can understand where they're coming from. And especially if they're marginalized uh, representations of real life people to, to grow our compassion, to think about how we can best be of service. Um, so yeah, just a fun little anecdote. Now, are there any other uh, books um, similar to this that you'd suggest to read in conjunction uh, with this one? I would suggest Return to Sender, a novel by Julia Alvarez. Um, all of these have immigration uh, issues. I would suggest Angela Cervantes' Gabi Lost and Found, which is um, a little bit different in that Gabi is a, a middle schooler whose mother gets deported because she's in the U.S. illegally. And her father is kind of an absentee dad, and so she finds comfort and solace in helping to find homes for stray cats. It's a really gorgeous book. And then finally, The Night Diary by Vera Let's see if I can say this right. Hira Nandi, uh, all excellent. But, you know, Better With Books has an entire chapter devoted to novels and memoirs about immigration. And so that's probably 50 titles right there that I would encourage people to check out. So there's a, there is a, a lot of books available. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, and not just, you know, uh, migration from Latin America, but from Iraq and uh, different places like that. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to both uh, share your own book and to talk to me and introduce me uh, to The Only Road, which I hadn't read before. So uh, and for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love talking about books. You can find Melissa's website at www.melissahart.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.